This podcast is not a therapy service, a substitute for therapy, and does not provide diagnosis, but rather information, knowledge, and a conversation about mental health, culture, and society. You're listening to Chismes y Consejos with Justine Medrano. Hey guys, welcome back to Chismes y Consejos. I'm your host, Justine Medrano, and today we have Lupe Garfias, LCSW, a mental, she works at a mental health nonprofit. So welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so nice to have you. I'm very excited. So let's start off with your chisme. So my cheese is that the vulnerability hangover exists. Mm. If anybody has heard of it, it's a term Brene Brown. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to go record coming out story in Spanish. Oh dang! Even in Spanish. In Spanish, yes. That's hardcore. I know. <laughs> and so I woke up. I woke up the next day like, what did I say? Was it too much? And mm-hmm. so it exists. Yeah, for sure. What podcast was it? De Pueblo Católico en Gay. All right, so if you guys want to hear her story more in depth and or maybe in Spanish and you want to practice your Spanish skills, go check it out. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So my parents came from Mexico illegally and they were coming in search of a better life and a, f- a better future for themselves and their kids. And so with that, I remember dynamics that come with having to um, having to adjust to a new culture mm-hmm. and uh, I remember my parents worked really hard. They were hard-working people. They worked morning to night to try to make sure that you know uh, me and my siblings had everything and so that's a little bit about my background. Mm-hmm. Were you born in Mexico or were you born here? I was born here. You were born here so you're first gen. Yes, first that's, generation. I feel like that's so amazing because it shows like the sacrifices our parents do for us mm-hmm. but also like the the challenges we have to overcome too because it's like we're juggling these two different worlds in a way and like different cultures because you're like immersed in one culture but yet also living in another yeah and so i feel like there's so much that goes with that yeah definitely and i think that as a a first generation you have to kind of have one foot in both worlds Mm -hmm. and it's interesting the dynamics that come about because in a sense your parents also need you not to teach them how to navigate this new world that you know more about Mm -hmm. you're translating for them you're showing them things so i also think like it's hard for them to understand too because we are living with one foot in this like new culture new world where like things might seem like normal to us like wait what all my friends are doing it like what (laughs) and they're like no aquí no Mm -mm." (laughs) that's not how we roll (laughs) um so today we're talking um about lgbtq plus issues or just like things and themes in the community Um, So a lot of people might be like, what are all these letters? Like, what do they mean? Um, What does LGBTQ mean? So L starts for lesbian, right? Stands for lesbian. G stands for gay. B stands for bisexual. And T is for transgendered. Mm -hmm. And so some people actually use LGBTQIA. Q is for uh, questioning or queer. I is for, um, you know, I stands for different things. But I've heard it stand for um, intersex. 
Um, and then there's A for asexual or ally. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on how you use it. And I've also heard the S. Have you heard 2S before? I haven't heard 2S. What is that? Two-spirited. Oh. So it's a native oh, term. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. So I have this, this is like totally not related, but I want to share. <laughs> so I have this masseuse um, and she's Native American. She's actually Native, like indigenous in Mexico and she married an Apache. And um, she does massages and so like when she massaged me i actually started having like visions it was the craziest thing and in my vision she was a male and she's like yeah that's because we're two-spirited and i was like oh my god that's so dope that's awesome i heard you speak about her in your previous podcast yeah i really need her number <laughs> oh my gosh i'll totally share she she's yeah. amazing um she'll be on soon i'm like trying to get her here <laughs> okay so and i feel that as society evolves, um, people evolve and just like our language evolves because I think like there wasn't the language or these terms maybe earlier, right? Because I mean, even in like Greek mythology, Roman mythology, even biblical, like whatever, they don't have these terms that we have now. And so sometimes there's like these letters, right? That like just show up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and people are like, what? what does this mean? And so I think even like being curious or patient with people that might not know the terms or might not be with it, right? Yes. And I mean, even in the LGBTQ community, like there might be people that aren't woke or like with it with the terms. Right, definitely. Mm -hmm. That happens. Yeah. For sure. Cool. So, um, what's kind of been like your story? My story regarding my, uh, yeah. my sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. So Cause, I. Because you recently came out on this podcast but you've been out for a while right oh, yeah i've been out yeah. and i feel like that has to affect not only your mental health but other people that either are out are not out questioning struggling there's such a high correlation right with mental health and lgbtq definitely what are do you are you aware of some of like those stats or you know some of the information yeah, so what I can tell you very broadly mm -hmm. is that people who are LGBTQIA tend to struggle with accepting who they are as people. Mm -hmm. And that is because the society that we live in or because the families or the, tra the traditions or the values or whatnot. So it's hard to uh, develop a positive identity when people around you are telling you, this is bad, you should mm -hmm. not do this, or this is dangerous, this is not accepted. So what comes about is internalized homophobia. And internalized homophobia is when someone literally takes society's messages and they internalize it. Mm. And it, it becomes shame and it becomes guilt. And shame and guilt comes isolation and, and it comes hopelessness. And so, of course, it's barriers towards having a good mental health. You know, um, yeah, it's, it's problematic. Yeah. For sure, it causes depression, anxiety. Yeah. Even, you know, I've, I've read some literature that says it can even cause psychosis. Mm, wow. Yeah. And those are like serious things. I know that, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know in general, like suicide, self harm, homelessness is higher among the LGBTQ plus community, yeah. right? Like, think because the homeless that explains the homelessness because your family might not accept it so they kick you out and actually our homelessness in LA the highest like homeless percentage mm -hmm. would be under 18 who are LGBTQ unfortunately they have to resort to child sex exploitation because it's like survival sex and so it's like this perpetuating cycle of like homophobia or this 
um, you know, not accepting, it's actually perpetuating so many more issues that people might not be aware of. Mm -hmm. And also with uh, sex work for, mm -hmm. for people in our community, I think it's also, in a sense, a little misguided for, for people who are engaged in it. Like, they probably feel like, oh, look, somebody wants me, mm. and somebody loves me, and somebody wants to touch me. And so there, there's a sense of uh, positive identity there, too, mm -hmm. you know? At times, not for everybody, but yeah. that's what comes to mind when I hear you talk about that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, so let's, let's, let's go a little bit back. So what has been like, your personal experience? Because I feel like that will touch on a lot of the topics that we can dive into. Sure. Um, so one thing that comes to mind to kind of start us off, I did a training and they were like, okay, everybody close your eyes. And I was like, okay, if you're, if you're listening, don't close your eyes if you're driving. Uh, so close <laughs> your eyes and think about your very first crush. Now, is it a male? Is it a female? What did they look like? Why did you like them? I opened my eyes and I was like, damn, kindergarten, Bryce, if you're out there, I don't know his last name because I forgot because it was kindergarten. I used to be like, oh, dang, Bryce, he's so cute. I would like chase him and like I trap him in the tunnel and like just like stare at him creepy like. <laughs> um, and it was never like, oh, I'm choosing a boy. I'm choosing a girl to like. It was just like, I like Bryce. Um, I like boys, right? And so sometimes it's not, and I think there's a misconception there that like you choose to be um, homosexual or you choose to be like bisexual or trans and it's really like we we don't think I, I mean I, I wasn't like I think I'm gonna like a boy today <laughs> sounds good I was just like dang I like Bryce <laughs> it happens, yeah. yeah and so I think going going to think about it in that way like close your eyes who was your first crush and have you liked did you choose to like them yeah. right it was just like a natural innate thing um so now, starting your story. Yeah, but before we get into my story, yeah. you reminded me of the role reversal mm. meditation. Okay. And so I've done two of those meditations, mm -hmm. one in LGBT training that I took as well. Mm -hmm. It was a seven-minute guided meditation about mm -hmm. how things would be for people if we switched it up, mm -hmm. if heterosexuals were the minority, and if we referred to them as... Breeders, oh the breeders. Oh wow. <laughs> and, yeah, and um, that's really powerful. I actually have it in, in one of my books and I think that us as therapists, whenever we can use that for a training experience, mm -hmm. it would be wonderful. Yeah. Okay. That was one of them and then I also did a different one with females mm -hmm. being um, the ones in leadership and the, the males being the and of the ones with lesser power in our society. Yeah. And that was wonderful too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those sound awesome. They are really awesome. And I, I think I, the emotions that came from me afterwards was anger. Mm. Like really? Like we were sold this big lie and just believe it. It's yeah. Just, you know? And I, another thing that comes to mind when you say that, kind of to set the, the tone as well. Um, so in school we had to do like the privilege line. I don't know if you had to do that where we all got in one line and we all started at one space and our professor basically said um, if you've ever had to if you've never had to worry about who you were with on the street make one step forward. If you never got looks when you were dating someone one step forward mm -hmm. um if you never had to worry about violence in your school take one step forward so all of these questions that had to do with privilege and <laughs> it was interesting because at the front of that line I mean like the white males and then the white straight females and then and I have I have a lot of privilege and I acknowledge that 
and I was still towards the back just because of like life experiences or just how society or like my personal experiences and I was like wait I thought I had like some privilege what is this <laughs> right and I think that's even something to think about because when you are in the streets with like same sex like people might not nice or they might give you looks and it might be dangerous in some parts of the world or even in some parts of our country yeah. and so even thinking about it in that sense too like what is your today and like if that is what is the true reality why would someone choose to live that way mm -hmm. right so i think those are things that people need to reflect on to check their phobia or their ignorance at the door um, so yes, preach. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So now your personal story. <laughs> My personal story. Growing up, I realized I was different. I think when I was six or seven. Now mm -hmm. I would look at women, and I'm just like, they're so beautiful, but not in the way that I want to look like them, or in a way that I envy them. Mm -hmm. Just in a very innocent, like, wow, they're so beautiful, you know. Mm -hmm. And as I grew older, I realized. I was attracted to one of my high school friends mm. and who who was openly gay and at that time I think I was 15 or 16 and I said like, well I, I can't be gay because being gay would not be accepted in my family mm -hmm. or by my mother who was Jehovah Witness mm -hmm. and it felt like if I was gay that I would be I would be kicked out of the house or people would not talk to me and so I kind of kept that in and I actually wanted to to hide it I was like no I'm not gay um that's not true so I, I had to go through my own um, experience with that I kept that in I, I did come out to my sister at that point um, but I came out as bisexual because that was easier mm. definitely easier it's easier because I think that um still have one foot in one world and the other one in the other when you're not mm -hmm. fully like if you want to kick me out there's still hope for me <laughs> don't kick me out just yet you know <laughs> i like might not be gay <laughs> yeah, maybe. so that's how i came out and then um when i fell in love for the first time with the woman i understood that there was no other life than that life for me mm-hmm powerful it was magical it was what you see on tvs with the first case the first kiss and the and the fireworks and i had n never felt that before mm -hmm. and i had dated high school men and it's just i never felt that kind of a feeling before and so i was like this is where it's at <laughs> this mm -hmm. isn't where i'm at mm -hmm. and i tried to keep that from my mom because i thought that my mom would not be able to deal with it my mom is hispanic and she's uh mom is she's special <laughs> she's very emotional and um doesn't cope with things the best i love her but she doesn't and mm -hmm. so i didn't want to bring her something that i didn't think she could handle plus growing up with, uh, in that kind of a household um with already all the stress and all the stuff that was going on i know that her and my dad had into a divorce and finances were tight and um there's a lot going on i just didn't want to bring additional stressors to the family. So I, I kept that to myself and um, when my mom would ask what I was doing, I would tell her I was out with a boy mm -hmm. and I think she already thought I was gay. That made her really happy to think that I was out with yeah. a boy and when one day when she couldn't find me, she went out to ask about me and in that 
she found out that I was questioning about my sexuality. I don't know what she found out, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But I just know that I was in my room packing a bag to go out for the weekend. In my new life, I was in love and I was excited. And uh, she came home and she was visibly shaken and crying and very upset. So she kind of just barges in my door and she points her finger to me and she's like, you. I'm like, yes. <laughs> just like innocently packing a bag, what? <laughs> and she's like, you're either um, you're either a prostitute, one, or two, you're a lesbiana. Oh, what a crazy category to bunch, yeah. to bunch all of that into one. Right, and so I've always been, a, I think I have, you know, I've always been a, a good person, high morals, good ethical standard in the way that I um, move about life. I didn't didn't think that my mom could have actually meant a prostitute. I think for my mom, what that meant is her acting with all ethics. Mm. So that was like her synonym for it. Yeah. But also, I mean, going to what you just said, how you have like this ethical standard, this moral, like you've been holding all of that in for so long, like sacrificing your authenticity for the good of your mom right mm. i think that also shows like your character and probably a lot of struggles that others can relate to yeah so you were packing a bag <laughs> yeah i was packing a bag and so she said that and i looked at her and i saw her so emotional and usually what i would do is i would come and I'd be there for her of course but i understood that at this point it was either continue living a lie mm. so to speak go back into that closet um or not mm. and so to me it wasn't a question I just knew that I had to keep moving mm-hmm. at that point. And so I said, well, mom, I'm definitely not a prostitute. <laughs> like, I don't know where you got that from. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing now, but it was really emotional at the time. And she looked at me and she cried. She knew and she was trying to make sense of it the best she could. And I was yelling and saying all kinds of things. I just finished packing my bag. I walked out. I left. In that moment, did you feel like you had lost your family or like lost your mom? I didn't know what to think. That that's definitely was the fear before I came out. Mm-hmm. The fear was because she's Jehovah Witness. Um, they're very strict about who they associate with, mm-hmm. and they're very strict about their just their moral code in general, like the things that we can and cannot do, right? Like mm-hmm. celebrate birthdays and things like that. So definitely was a possibility that she would stop talking to me. But also I was concerned about her mental health and her, her wellness. I was like, what if she has a heart attack? You know, we think those kind of things mm-hmm. like. This is going to be so horrible for her that she won't make it. <laughs> and honestly, like our cult, like Latino culture in general, like kind of foster this like anxiety of like right. all this fear. And I think it goes through like generational trauma that like it's unresolved. And then it just then we're like, oh, my gosh, it's all going to explode and they're going to die. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 So did you enjoy your weekend? Did you come <laughs> back? <laughs> like, how did that go? I left and... Um... I, at that time, I talked about it with my partner, and she was going through something too with her mm-hmm. mom. At that time, she dressed baggy, and her mom was really Christian. And when she would go out of her house, she would like to dress baggy, mm-hmm. and um, her mom caught her slipping into her baggy clothes. She was leaving, mm-hmm. and her mom also knew, and she was like, "Well, you, you can't live in this house that way." Mm-hmm. And so, um, I remember that weekend, we spent most of the time in the car that we had to because we had support systems we had family and friends and other places to be but i think it was so hard on us that weekend that we just wanted to just share that experience among ourselves Mm -hmm. 
and so we hung out and we talked about it and I came home and we somewhat made peace with it. The way my mom make, makes peace with it is just not to see it. Mm. She puts it in a little compartment. Mm -hmm. She loves me and she wants to see me and she wants to talk to me. She wants to care for me just like any mom would. She'll try to ignore that piece of it. Mm. And so she just tried to move on. It's like nothing yeah. happened. I think, I mean, sympathizing with parents as well. I think some parents might be open and like, even like if it goes back to even like gender reveals, it's like, well, you don't know what gender your baby's gonna be or like what they identify with, right? Yeah. So it's more of like a sex reveal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> than anything but some parents will honor that and some parents don't and so they have this idea and the sacrifice that they do for their kids like this is what I envisioned for your life they don't take into account like what did you envision for your own life right yeah and so because they have these visions of our lives they have to go through a mourning process too because they're losing that vision and that dream or that hope of what they thought your life was supposed to be what it actually should be or is right. and so with mourning like you know there's the seven steps of mourning <laughs> and it, she might be in that denial stage too yeah. <laughs> um but how is your relationship now just to speak on something you said what i've heard happens in the community is that when somebody comes out of the closet mm -hmm. the family then goes into the closet mm. wow because like what what is this news let's not share that with anybody mm -hmm. hold on this is something scary brings shame now we're all hiding it's almost like like a whole switch and i think there's so much loss in that mm -hmm. and i don't think in our field mental health or in like the general public there's enough knowledge or processing around grief and loss mm -hmm. because people think of grief and loss as death Grief and, grief and loss can be a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a, you know, a dream, whatever it is. And so I think there's so much grief and loss in this process, right? right. Between like your old life, maybe your old friends, maybe your family, maybe your partner, like whatever is going on, there's just so many variables involved. Yeah, because my mom probably had this idea in her head that I was going to get married to a man and have these kids. And that's what her idea in her head was. And it doesn't mean that I still can't have kids, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think that's another misconception. Like, oh, you're gay. You can't have kids. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's not exactly how it works now. It's like with science. <laughs> yeah. Or with just adoption in general. Yeah. So you asked me what my relationship is like with my yeah. mother. It's good. It's good. As good as it's gonna be. Mm -hmm. Recently, with this recording of the podcast that I was telling you about, that brought back a lot for me mm -hmm. because um, that podcast came about as a result of me being nominated for Bienestar's Orgullos Latinos okay. LGBTQ 2019. Yay! Congratulations! Um, thank you. I was really excited about that. I was super excited, and um, I wanted to share that yeah. with people, with my family, with friends. Of course. And I wanted to share it with my mom, but I knew that you know she's, she wasn't going to be happy about it. So it brought back so many emotions for me. And I was talking to my partner about it, and she was like, you know, maybe you should try. It's been some years. That, that you and your mom have talked about it. She don't know how she'll take it. You should talk to your mom and your dad about it. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know what, she's right. Let me do that. Um, and so I talked to my mom and my dad. My dad was super supportive. And I wasn't really expecting that. Not that my dad isn't supportive of my identity, but 
He's just kind of mellow. Yeah. <laughs> He's mellow. So I found some really good support in my dad. But with my mom, she tried to be happy for me, but I think she got really emotional about the conversation and she just ended the conversation, which to me felt like another rejection. And it probably brought up a lot of that original rejection too, because I think in life you process things as they're coming mm -hmm. you process things retrospectively you process them in the present and also just like there's things that you know come up for you randomly and you process it differently because of your age your experience and your maturity yeah. so those are i guess wounds that need continued healing yeah. and i think people listening probably can identify with that and it doesn't even have to be an LGBTQ issue, right? Yeah. It could be something else that's happening in their life that they're like, oh man, I thought I was like accepting of that or I was over that. Why is this still coming up? Yeah. <laughs> I know that happens to me all the time. <laughs> well, um, yeah. With that, what I've learned from that is that some people, they feel like they don't ever stop coming out, mm -hmm. right? Because when I was wondering, should I tell my mom, should I not? Like, should I come out to her again or should mm -hmm. I not? Practically, what it felt like it's like a constant theme in your life yeah, yeah yeah I think even like I was thinking about this like being straight I've never had to be like oh I need to like come out to my dad and tell him I'm dating this dude mm -hmm. I think the only time it was when I was like I was dated interracially in my family like should I tell my dad I'm dating a black guy like I don't know <laughs> and that was like <laughs> the biggest thing um and so I think it put so much pressure on an individual or a community to having to come out um, and I was reading Karama's book and I know we briefly talked about this he states um, he prefers saying letting people in right right because um, it's kind of like taking away someone's power the individual who's coming out's power something that they own mm -hmm. and also it puts so much pressure like a straight person doesn't have to come out why does a gay person have to come out Rather than being like, hey, I'm gay, I'm letting you into my life, I'm letting you into this information. Like, when I'm dating a guy, I can tell my friends, like, oh, dude, I'm dating a guy. Like, it's not like I'm letting them into my my dating life. And um, I think it also, that pressure, like a difference between, it's not like that you're ashamed to like this coming out story or coming out story. Not that you're owning the shame or not owning the shame. It's more of like with the letting in, you're creating boundaries creating boundaries and honoring your own boundaries mm -hmm. like your truth and who you trust your with your private information and that's just not your sexuality it's with everything it's very empowering yeah. I, like that. I mean love is ultimately like the epitome of love is like no judgment right and i think that's so hard to do as humans and you brought you were talking about like religious aspects and religious like beliefs in your family and i think that's huge LGBTQ folks maybe don't ascribe to a religion or have issues with religion because of like the shame that religion puts on the LGBTQ or like we refer to it as a lifestyle mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like it's not really a lifestyle I mean it's just life yeah. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> um so like do you have anything to say to maybe those who are struggling like the disconnection between religion and who they are or for those who are religious and being shaming or not accepting. Yeah, this brings back a lot for me. Um, mm -hmm. Growing up, 
Part of my exploration of my identity, um, there was a lot of fear because of religion. Mm -hmm. Because um, growing up in in the Jehovah Witness Church, mm -hmm. but I but I think it would be the same in a Catholic church or a Christian church. Um, I remember having nightmares of me going to hell and waking up in sweats, mm -hmm. and um, it was really difficult for me. And you're told growing up, in order to be a good person, you need to do A, B, and C. And I think that back when when religion started, I think it was supposed to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be like, hey, here's some rules, some some a way to guide you through life, to be a good person, and to be good to your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, it became this punishing, strict, shaming thing. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to think about religion. <laughs> yeah, and I think in some religions, that might be true, yeah. right? And I think, so... I come from a Christian family. Actually, my, my immediate family is all Christian, but my, everybody else is Catholic. So there's like a big difference there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think you go to, I, I have experiences of going to church and like talking about homosexuality and how it's not pure and it's not of God. But then I'm like, bro, if you want to look at it that way, like, why are you putting so much shame on this topic, on these people, when like literally in the Bible it says like, sin is bigger than anything right like lying like heterosexual sex out of marriage um stealing gossiping eating too much like right. all those are the same in the eyes of god if you want to look at it that way right if you want to consider homosexuality a sin um i don't agree with that but <laughs> so let's take it to that point right like that's what you're going to look at it that's how you're going to deal with it so then what are you doing like what is your sin yeah right and then I actually had a conversation with someone from my church about this and they're like well as christians we're told to hold other people accountable i was like okay let's go with that so we're going with that so how can you hold someone accountable if you're not holding yourself accountable for your stuff what makes you better and i think that's where my my issue comes as an ally right like you could be a believer you could believe in god you can have your religion your spirituality your belief system and still be like loving and accepting like ultimately that's what it's about right yeah you know if you aren't religious like treat your neighbor as you want to be treated yeah. personally i wouldn't want to be like called names or not accepted for whatever you don't agree with with me what I would say to people regarding church mm -hmm. and spirituality is that's what you're looking for. Go where you feel comfortable and go where you feel accepted. Mm -hmm. I know there is a lot of LGBT affirming churches. There's some in West Hollywood and Long Beach and LA. I'm from San Bernardino originally. Mm -hmm. um, I was raised in the Fontana area. And San Bernardino has affirming churches as well. So you don't have to go somewhere where you feel uncomfortable about yourself and if you can't make it to these churches there's also church online there's different ways to still feel connected to your faith uh, for myself I'm spiritual i feel very much connected mm -hmm. it's taken me a while to get there but i feel very happy about that aspect in my life yeah i think that's so important and i think what you said um about not going somewhere where you're not accepted i don't think it just needs to be with church right it could yeah. be anywhere you don't feel accepted like have to honor yourself and like have those boundaries like if this isn't healthy for me like why am i here mm -hmm. and that also takes someone to take that responsibility for themselves like okay this isn't working yeah um so 
you were saying that you started having these feelings when you were six, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is really common. Um, you know, if adults are seeing children play or like be too close, adults might have you know the language to put like, oh, this kid is acting funny or different or gay or whatever. I think it's also important to note like not to over-sexualize children because they don't have the language and the adult concepts that we understand and have when it comes to sex and sexuality is not really appropriate for children. And like you said, it was like a process for you of like kind of exploring and figuring things out. And I think that when adults kind of just perpetuate that, like it's not fair for that child either. That could be the case. And it also might not be the case. Right, yeah. So being aware as like adults which kind of brings me to a story of a colleague, um, the adoptive parents. Um, they were a homosexual couple and they had a child who they were like, they had adopted. And they were saying that this child was transgender and the child I think was like three or four because they were wearing dresses. They really liked like girly things, if you, I did air quotes, <laughs> girly things, if you will. And um, it's like, well, maybe they just really like that. Maybe they still don't have that concept and you still there is still research showing that like you could feel those things at a young age but also just allowing the process of exploration to develop fully before making such a big decision right yes exactly and so i think that's also like important yeah (laughs) so um i know that i asked people on my social media it's something i do now before a podcast like hey i'm going to be talking about this topic me some questions (laughs) so um one of the questions that i got were um i feel that right now homosexuality or lgbtq is more widely accepted is that accurate um and is that how lgbtq feel so i know that this is a very generalization because i'm interviewing just you right now so you can't speak for like everyone who's lgbtq (laughs) but in your experience or in like maybe your friend group or family group or like people that you've worked with in mental health what has kind of your experience on that yeah i want to start off by first um addressing the the term homosexual Mm -hmm. i think some people would are okay with that term and i've heard some people in the community who are not okay with that term Mm -hmm. because they feel that that term is medicalized Mm -hmm. is pathologized Mm -hmm. it was in the dsm at one point it really was yeah yeah and so it just brings back these just historic Mm -hmm. memories you know of, of a time that We'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> We'd rather not go back there. Yeah, know? for sure. And so, um, when I talk about LGBT, I'll say LGBTQIA. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll keep it short, LGBT. To me, that's short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'll say gay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a lesbian, but I'd rather I just say gay. For yeah. Short, you know? Okay. Some people say queer, whatever. Yeah, I think it's really important that when you're talking to somebody, you ask them what they're comfortable with, mm. because you will find that some people are okay with queer and then some people are not mm-hmm. right so that this is out, I'm, I'm saying this out here for our therapists who are listening yeah when you have a client coming into your clinic it's very important that you ask them they identify and i think that's important too going with pronouns right like there's so many pronouns that like i said society has evolved the language has evolved um i didn't even know about pronouns till i like went to school and was like learning about it mm-hmm. 
Um, so there's people that are non-binary. Like what pronoun do they use? Are they non-pronoun? Like I know a cousin and I was like, and be respectful, right? So I was like, hey, like, what do you identify as? And she's like, just, she said her name. And I was like, okay, cool. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like a non-binary, like you don't ascribe to anything. Like some days you feel more masculine, some days you feel more feminine. Like sometimes you just want to be called your name. Maybe you want this pronoun or that pronoun. And so I think just being open and curious and like just asking. And then you might ask and they'll be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Right, and that's okay too, but you did your job. Yeah. And while we're on this topic of inclusivity, it's really important that we're also using inclusive language. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tend to be pretty chill about things. Um, For example, I had the other day I was out with family and I was caregiving and it was a stressful day for me. And someone was like, oh, is your boyfriend coming to pick you up? Because I had such a bad day. (laughs) I was like, no, I don't have time for this. I did not have time for this, so I said, my partner is a female, and yes, she is coming. You're like, snap back. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just depends on the day yeah. that you catch me. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty chill, but you know, I hate that I have to, like, that person that I was talking to, they were in the healthcare like, mm. um, industry. Mm. Like, get with it, please. Yeah. yeah. I'm already stressed out doing all this right now. Don't, don't put that on me. So, yeah. some people are chill about it, some people are not, but... It's just important that takeaway messages use inclusive language. Yeah, and I think that's so important too because as clinicians, um, you know, we do intake processes. So, like, say we're with a teenager, an adult, like, so saying, like, do, do, are you married? Like, do you have a husband? Do you have a wife? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? And then just being like, are you dating? someone someone um because i think that also provides the space in the room for a client to be open like oh you're not putting or ascribing these things on me like i can say i have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you know someone of the same sex yeah um and so i think that's really important and that's actually something i've learned now like my younger family members I'll be like, hey, are you dating anyone? Not like, do you have a boyfriend? Or like, do you have a girlfriend? Like, oh my God, tell me everything. (laughs) It's really important. It means the world to somebody who is coming out or trying to make sense of their identity. Like, oh, wait, open. Or Mm -hmm. they may not give me hope for this. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't. Yeah, it means the world to people. I like, let's go back a little bit to the identity piece. So for our listeners who are struggling with their identity or trying to figure it out or make sense, like what kind of advice would you give them? Don't be quick to rush. Mm-hmm. It'll make sense. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, be patient with yourself. Uh, try to find support. And don't be so quick to, to have your answers. Mm-hmm. You know, it will come. Yeah. That would be one piece to it. Yeah. And I think, like, going back to what you said at the beginning about, um, oh, what was the word that you used? Um, homophobic internalization it was, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like that also is part of the process for some. Not all, but some. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. And so how to like overcome that? Like I know you said like be patient with yourself, but also the accepting peace or maybe the peace of like having that like positive self-talk. Like how to how would you kind of encourage someone to do that or like go about it? Yeah. It's important if possible to reach out to a therapist to get some help. I know I didn't. Mm-hmm. Looking back, you know, that would have been nice. That would have been helpful. It would have saved me from a lot of <laughs> A lot, but um, it actually is a process, and there's a model out there called Cass's model of identity. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I haven't. What is it? It's really important, too, for for therapists who are treating LGBT Mm -hmm. clients. It's a guide that shows you 
how to look at the identity process and guide says that there's one of six stages okay and the first stage is identity confusion oh wait no i have heard about it this has, but yeah. let's share with the let's share with the audience okay yeah <laughs> and so the that's where someone is starting off mm -hmm. at and it's usually uh, a stage marked by confusion and they're starting to recognize that they're different not accepting at all mm -hmm. and there's internalized homophobia there too and so when you recognize the stage in which your client is coming in can then know oh, okay if this is their struggle then i can do this to mm -hmm. help them right? um, and so there's stage two and there's stage three and stage six being identity synthesis which is the most positive state that someone's going to be in and the less internalized homophobia you're going to see hopefully none at that point yeah right but all up until stage three you're still seeing identity um internalized homophobia mm -hmm. and so your job as a therapist is to use affirming language and um, to help them navigate how society's messages has had an influence on their identity mm -hmm. and which messages do you really like keep and which ones are true and what is not true and how do you deal with this you yeah know? and the messages we receive from a society are so up from like all angles yeah. and especially in the lgbtq right <laughs> yeah. like sometimes i'm like looking at stuff and i'm like is this for real right now like what the hell yeah <laughs> um cool well thank you for sharing that um and reminding me of it so um how does being closeted affect like mental health do you think or in your experience if you picture being in a closet you know like it's dark dingy and i just got like r kelly songs and i like hate him <laughs> yeah yeah it's cold yeah. and it's alone right you're it's isolated There's spiders sometimes moss. <laughs> yeah it's not fun in there yeah. you know it's i think what i take from that is just being alone and, mm -hmm. and feeling helpless and feeling like nothing's gonna change there's no light in there mm -hmm. you know and us humans we like connection we need connection to thrive we need light and we need connection and it's not in there mm -hmm. it's definitely not in there so um, some people's reality is that they will be living in there mm -hmm. and that's that's a decision that they could make and having been in there at one point never ever do i want to go back i don't just thinking about it it infringes in my on my liberty and mm -hmm. and my happiness so um I think of being in the closet, I think of being alone and living a happy life, not living an authentic life. It should clearly affect mental health on so many levels. Like yeah. isolation for one, depression, mm -hmm. um, loneliness, depression, um, anxiety too. Like, am I ever going to get out? Like, who's going to come in here? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows I'm in here? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, like, I, I'm thinking like depression and anxiety must be so like in the forefront of course and substance abuse mm -hmm. for sure substance abuse is substance abuse higher for lgbtq definitely yeah is. yeah and so i, I want to clarify that i'm not passing judgment on the people that are in the closet i, mm -hmm. I get it for some people it is life and death mm -hmm. depending on your culture your religion your traditions maybe you're married oh, yeah and maybe you have family you have children i get it i understand but if possible, <laughs> if possible to lurk out and, and bring someone with you, bring a therapist in there with you, yeah. <laughs> you know, if possible to venture out, yeah. that would be a suggestion. And I also feel like it shows for those who have come out, like how much strength they have and how much courage they have, right? Because not to bash those in there, right? 
from what you said like what if it is a life and death thing what if it is like you are choosing your true self and your authentic life from like leaving your family because that's the only option you have and you have to find your own tribe now right. right like i think there's so much that people don't honor or don't actually um see like you're sacrificing this or you're willing to do this to live this true life that you you want yeah i think that's like beautiful in itself so um so we kind of talked about this a little bit but just to like clarify it for the person who asked this question in a family say um someone might look either more masculine or more feminine or they might be non-binary or they are lesbian um but they look more masculine or whatever right what can family members do or friends do to kind of what do you identify as or like what, what's going on or like he she what what <laughs> is your name like andrew or anna like you know what's going on what what would be like the most appropriate way to approach that to approach somebody about their preference mm -hmm. or, or yeah their preference okay yeah i think one of the questions that you asked was, was just dead on it's just you identify as mm -hmm. and, and really respecting what they say and and also taking it further and letting people know this is how they feel comfortable mm -hmm. and we're not going to tolerate anything other than that mm -hmm. because if one person stands with that person then everybody fully would stand with that person but if if you allow for somebody in the family member to make fun of that person um, even if it's in good faith mm -hmm. uh, make and now i'm doing air quotes <laughs> yeah she did them <laughs> yeah. um it's not okay it's yeah. not funny you know so we got to stand together with our people and you ask and you respect and stand together and i think i think something is like fair to acknowledge is it might be uncomfortable for people to even ask that because they're afraid that they might offend them right mm -hmm. so um like if someone looks a certain way but you know they're you know you air quotes again i need a camera <laughs> um you know you might be like i don't know if i should ask because they might get offended like nervous and i know that this happens in the mental health field because it's an area that maybe someone might not be as familiar with or as comfortable with and especially for those who aren't therapists how to deal with that what would be kind of some i guess encouragement to give them yeah it just really depends on who you're asking i know if you're asking me mm -hmm. yes please do ask me I'm, <laughs> I'm an open book but not everybody's like me mm -hmm. and so you approach someone with respect and, and you you just state your intention mm -hmm. i want to ask you something but i don't mean to offend you so i'm hesitant just put it out there that's how you feel right mm -hmm. and can i ask you about your sexual orientation can i ask you about your gender pronouns mm -hmm. and at that point that person will say yes or no and then you respect that boundary okay. but i think it's really important to ask and most of the friends um, that i know and family would be happy to receive that kind of a question because it shows that you have interest in the person and that you're willing to respect mm -hmm. versus just ignoring it yeah know? or like pretending it's that's not happening yeah. or whatever it may yeah. be um so another thing that came up is like STDs, right? So um, I was reading some stats and it's like 63% of the HIV cases right now um, is in gay men. And STDs among LGBTQ, they fell from like 2000 to 2000, 2005 to 2015 um, by 19%. However, 6% rose in African-American and Hispanic or Latino men um, and who were bi and gay. And most of them were under the age of 24 so there's like reasons why um it could be that like hiv is people are living longer 
it's more easily spread because only like 15% of people know that they are infected. Um, it could be that, you know, people just don't have the knowledge because we don't have a lot of like sex education in this country, unfortunately. <laughs> so people don't know about safe sex or, you know, maybe um, SES is playing a part where they don't have resources. Um, and I know most of my stats are for men, which mm -hmm. is a problem, right? Because what are the stats for women? I actually couldn't find any, yeah. and maybe I'm not looking in the right places. And I think that's also like a misconception, right? Like sex among the LGBTQ community, including women, um, and like the STD rate. So I don't know if you have information on that or if you can speak to that, because I know that might be like more medical in a way yeah. uh, what comes to mind initially is that i know some religious communities use those statistics against the community mm. as, as a way to shame and say look this is why we shouldn't be dating each other you know things mm -hmm. of that nature and so i am mindful of that and definitely do not agree with that i think a lot of the problem comes from access to care in our communities mm -hmm. in our hispanic communities in our black communities do we even have the resources in those communities that, that they need to get healthier is one thing. The, the other thing is, um, are, are people in our community going to the doctor, mm -hmm. right? Are Hispanic males, no. are they going to the doctor? My dad has had a hernia since, like, I don't even know when. It's like the size of a football. It, he moved a piano during Christmas and it like popped out and it's been out and I'm like, bro, yeah. you need to go to the doctor. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm like, you're so Mexican right now. <laughs> but if you ask them why they say these things, what I've heard, you go in there, you never come back, you die, you die in there. <laughs> anxiety, anxiety, right? anxiety. Yeah. Or like they've been discriminated against in mm. there, right? Mm -hmm. Or they think they can't afford it. And they've never been in there, they think they can't afford it. Yeah. Or they probably really can't afford it. They don't have the insurance, they don't have the means. Or they think it's a scam. Right. And so for the LGBT community, mm. it is very real that, that we don't want to disclose to our, our primary health provider. This statistics is in research time and time over again. You think they're gonna give you lesser than treatment. You think they're gonna discriminate against you. Mm. Um, so you have to lie. You really have to lie. And so if you have to lie to get treatment, do you really wanna go in? And then it's terrible too. Like one place where you can be honest so that you can be healthy, you have yeah. to lie. Like, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, so I think a lot of it has to do with access to care in these mm -hmm. communities. Yeah, We don't have enough. And also the discrimination piece. Some some medical providers are doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of inclusivity and putting um, safe place signage, mm -hmm. rainbows, you're welcome here. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, and that's actually something that the agency I work for, like actually our whole agency right now is just covered in rainbows because it's Pride Month, by the way, happy Pride. Um, I love it, it's just like love is love everywhere and I'm just like, yes. <laughs> um, and even if you have it, like I have it on my badge, like I have a little rainbow and our badges actually say safe place. Mm -hmm. It actually opens up the conversation because someone who is identifying with the LGBT community, they see that and they're like, oh, I can talk about it here. Like I know they're trained or at least they know some knowledge or at least they're open to hear. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. Um, so is it frustrating? And then we kind of touched on this as well. Like, is it frustrating when people don't use correct terms? Yes. <laughs> you didn't pick up on that earlier. Yes. 
<laughs> one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. You know, for me, like I said, I'm a lesbian, but mm -hmm. gay it works just fine for me. But I tell people that, mm -hmm. right? Um, but for some people, you know, they've been discriminated and ignored and um, made fun of. That they're like, here we go again. Mm -hmm. I have to, I have to teach you about this again. You know, so mm -hmm. it's definitely important. Yeah, and I think that's something so prevalent in society. And I know I hear it like in like my inner circle sometimes too is like we live in a society that's so like politically correct now like i can't say anything and i'm just like well uh, like we've been like we've been through so much as either like minority females lgbtq like whatever it is yeah. like, the world can be harsh sometimes and so if you're fighting for that obviously people are gonna get pissed right mm -hmm. <laughs> um so for those wanting to like we kind of touched on this as well too like living authentically what are like what are like your key mantras or how have you become I, I just look at you and i'm just like you're freaking awesome but <laughs> how have you lived this authentic life now it's been work it's been time and work but like i said being in the closet was not a good experience for me and ever since that happened i've been very mindful of speaking my truth and even in the quotes again white lies you know that people choose to tell and um i know that i've had friends say hey, hey do you mind um confirming this white lie i'm gonna say to so and so and i'm like no i'm not going to do that because i like i've already said my fair share of lies when i was in the closet and to me that's traumatic in itself so mm -hmm. i'm not going back there i'm not saying i'm saying and that i do everything correctly but it's definitely helped me live the way that i'm living today is just speaking yeah. my truth and being who i am yeah, no, I think that's so good. I love the the lying part. Not that I don't think lies are good, but like <laughs> the fact that you're like even the good lies, as people might say, the white lies, you're so against because it's not a truth. And like mantra is living that truth. Oh, and yeah. even if you look at the white lie, people don't say the truth because it brings discomfort, mm. right? Mm. And so what? Live in that discomfort just a little bit. It's not gonna kill you. No, if it's going to break that relationship, maybe it wasn't a strong relationship anyway. <laughs> no, you're so right. And actually, that's something I tell my clients all the time. And I tell myself when I'm feeling uncomfortable, it's like you grow in the discomfort. You don't yes. grow when you're comfortable. Like what's making you grow? Yeah, it's you grow when you hit those challenges in life or you're like freaking out and you have to look within yourself and be like, okay what is this teaching me or like what can i learn from this or how do i move forward and gotta like dig in your pocket for those like coping skills <laughs> like right. the strength and so i think that's when people grow is when they face those discomforts head on right so i've been on this journey recently that i want to say yes to anything that is for for <laughs> my future mm -hmm. for example this invitation to be on this podcast is a little anxiety evoking but i i know that I see purpose in it, and mm -hmm. so I'm here. I love what you're doing, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I do love what you're doing. Um, and so I said yes to this opportunity, just like the other podcast I said yes to. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Brittany Brown says, vulnerability is the most accurate measurement of courage. Mm -hmm. And so when you step into that discomfort and when you look your fear in the face, um, it dissolves. Mm -hmm. It dissolves and you, you grow in your power. And so that's why... Also, I say yes to things that make me uncomfortable. Yeah, Brene Brown, if you guys don't know who she is, she's like a magician. Like, she's just <laughs> full of awesomeness. She has a lot of TED Talks. She has a couple books. Like, you can follow her on Instagram. She just, like, pours out wisdom, I feel. She's amazing. She's a social worker. Yeah, she's so. amazing. I love it. Yeah. 
Um, so in this world that we live in today, it could be full of drama, it could be full of hate, it could be full of like just people jacking you up. Um, so for those who are dealing with like homophobic people or even a homophobic society, how do you deal with that on the day to day? Or like what would you give as advice to those who are facing that? Soft talk for sure. It's mm -hmm. been one of my go-to coping skills is soft talk. But I think mo the most powerful tool that I have is looking within. Mm -hmm. It's meditation and reflection. I recently got into Kundalini Yoga and it's been just amazing. It's been transforming. And I've, I have two teachers who have been wonderful in my growth and healing. And so I've been blessed to have found them but I, I went out looking for them so you gotta again put yourself in uncomfortable situations and you gotta ask this universe for what you need and mm -hmm. it will give it to you yeah. yeah no I was having this conversation with a friend actually um she's also a therapist and she's talking about <laughs> sometimes as a therapist or working in mental health we give our clients tools right like imagine like a toolbox we're giving them a hammer we're giving them a nail we're giving them you know wood whatever now go build a house and then they're like you aren't helping or like this isn't working and it's like well bro are you starting on your house like yeah. we can't put the hammer and then the nail and do it for you we're with you like an hour maybe two maybe three yeah <laughs> depending on the client but even as like individuals like we need to find that within ourselves like we may be given the tools whether through therapy whether through family friends reading watching movies whatever it is that you're getting your tools from like ultimately you need to build your house like exactly no one can build your house unless, what if they built an ugly house <laughs> unless you're an fsb program like i am oh yeah <laughs> we do all kinds of stuff with our clients like we'll literally build with them and then we'll do it what is the saying um, for them, by them, and then you watch them or something like that. So yeah. FSP programs are great. Like they but, really do the most for their clients. And like ultimately, like when you said like with them, by them, watch them, yeah. that watch them part, yeah. they're doing it. Like yeah. they have to do it. And I think what you said is so good because like you look within yourself and ultimately you have to find it within yourself to fight against homophobia, fight against non-acceptance, or fight against like whatever you're dealing with. And I think that's where people have to take responsibility but it's for a different thing. <laughs> so um, one of the things, so this is like one of the last questions um, that I got on my Instagram, and then I kind of want to hear what you're doing now, but um, these like gender roles, right? So a lot of people have this like idea, because we have these weird gender roles in society, <laughs> that in um, same-sex relationships, maybe the gender roles are different or how do you ask somebody out or who's going to propose or like who's going to pay for dinner like these these things that you see in um heterosexual relationships right so can you speak to that uh, i could out of experience out of experience what you've seen what you've heard like whatever <laughs> right my experience is that because we're already doing things differently it tends to be a little bit more liberal mm -hmm. <laughs> on our end and so because we're already doing everything out of the box it's okay to just ask someone out it doesn't matter how they dress or what they look like you learn right it's a personal preference so that person would tell you hey i kind of want to be the one to ask you out <laughs> and if that works that works and if it doesn't you move on to the next right yeah. but they gender uh, norms are still in the community mm -hmm. if you allow that to be part of your relationship for example mm -hmm. in the past i used to date someone who had a problem that i did my makeup she mm -hmm. was doing her makeup mm -hmm. because i think she wanted me to be more 
ish. Mm, okay. And now I'm like, okay, well, I wear makeup, so <laughs> this is not gonna work. You're like, thank you, next. <laughs> right, and now my blue today, she'll be like, hey, you look so pretty. Like, <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to stay there. Yeah. You try it out and you don't have to stay there. And so I, I don't put up with that in my relationships. To me, that's toxic. Mm -hmm. I don't play that. No, and I think what you said is number one. Communication is key, not only in same sex, but opposite sex relationships. Like, if you don't have communication, like, I mean, what if I, like, want to ask somebody out and, I mean, in my culture, my family, that's, like, something you don't do. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm like, damn, he'd be looking good. Like, I want to, like, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes you do have to kind of, like, do what you got to do. Yeah. Do you, right? Um, Try it out. See if it fits. Yeah. And something that I read in Karamo's book, um, by the way, you guys have to check out his book. It is so good. And he has this love story. And it's just, like, I was, like, crying. I was, like... <laughs> Why won't this happen to me? <laughs> um, he says, there's no traditional rules in LGBTQ community. So, like, you can ask somebody out. You can ask somebody to marry you. I mean, if you know them, because that would be weird. Like, on the first day, like, will you marry me? <laughs> um, great. So, I kind of want to see what you're up to now. What are you What are you doing? Right. So, I work full-time for a nonprofit agency mm -hmm. in the LA area. I work for an FSP which is a full service partnership working with the dogs who have chronic and persistent mental illness mm -hmm. so ages 26 to 59 and what we do is so rewarding it's so hard mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's so rewarding because we literally try hard to be the opposite of conventional treatment out there and the reason why is that we're looking at these people who are very sick and traditional once a, a month a therapy appointment is not working for them and so what we've done is okay what is going to work for them and our model is do whatever it takes mm -hmm. and so we're out there if they're homeless we're out there in the park with them providing them therapy where they're at mm -hmm. and um, if they want to get into housing on the same day we have the resource we'll put them in housing the same day we'll get them food and be better able to focus on their therapy if they have a, a roof over their head and so yeah. the work that we're doing is amazing and I really take pride in what I do I love yeah. it thank you for doing that yeah. um, I know you mentioned something about doing some trainings in LA um, what have you been doing as far as like teaching all of us how to be better <laughs> um, no I think I mentioned I took some trainings in LA okay yeah I haven't actually oh I, well, I know what you're talking about yeah I was doing the I am doing the substance abuse groups mm -hmm. once a month in Culver City and so that is for uh, who identify as women, mm -hmm. LGBTQ are welcome, and it is from seven to nine. It's in a yoga studio, but we don't do yoga. Okay. Yeah, and we meet for two hours, and we talk about life and sobriety and how, how we recover together as women. It's, it's a women's group. I love that. Yeah. Um. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of like inspired that, or like kind of drove you to want to do that? So, for a year. I decided to change my relationship with alcohol mm -hmm. and I, I said you know what let me see what happens me and my partner both let me see what happens when we just don't drink for a year mm -hmm. what would happen in our lives with that because um, I know for for us having a Hispanic background you do the barbecues yeah. and you go out to party with your friends and you have a drink or two and everything you do in celebration often requires a drink or two yeah, and it's interesting because like in our family ever like every kid party I feel like there's more alcohol than there's Capri Suns right baby showers or, yeah <laughs> like baby showers 
are all drunk. Like, I don't get it. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. That's cool. So in this year, what did what kind of happened in your life? Yeah, a lot happened. Mm -hmm. A lot happened. I, I found what I was looking for. I, I realized that, um, you know, some people think that you have to drink in order to connect with people. And it's actually the opposite. Mm -hmm. you, me and my partner went to this event where we knew nobody it was this fancy dinner setting and we weren't drinking i think it was like two weeks in <laughs> we were like okay the anxiety's high what, you're like what now we had the best conversations with people and that continued we got healthier we worked out more we didn't have to have the occasional hangover in which we're like dead the next day and disabled <laughs> except for the vulnerability ones but, yeah <laughs> And so we were a lot more productive, we're a lot more happier and healthier. Yeah. It was really a beautiful journey. Also, it, it changed things in the way that um, we try to cope with stress. I know for us therapists, we see a lot of things out there mm -hmm. and we're so prone to um, living vicarious trauma. Yeah. And we come home and all the paperwork and all the, you know, all that stuff. And sometimes you just want to reach for that cup of wine. And not doing that for a year um, led me to crochet <laughs> <laughs> to crochet and we run and we do yoga and it's just been such a amazing spiritual journey for us i've been in need of a new blanket so next time you're feeling stressed <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll take what you got right <laughs> um that's like so beautiful because i think that's the misconception right like i think a lot of times when people do drink it's to either celebrate but then it'll turn into like a habitual thing mm -hmm. that's where like the alcoholism starts but it's like you you need to drink to try to fit in or to ease that social anxiety or whatever it is and then it's really amazing when you can connect authentically right. and in like a pure way and in like in a really deep way and actually like remember it and also you find new things that, that you didn't even know were there. For example, my brother was um, talking about getting something for my dad for Father's Day. Mm -hmm. And we're all chiming in in this group message on what we should get him. And he's like, oh, well, we can't make up our minds, so I'm just going to get him a 30-pack. And I'm like, no, because that's not, a, for me personally, it's mm -hmm. not a gift of health and, and love. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you're not going to give him that with my name on it. I'm like, let's do something else. Let's get him a shirt or something. So mm -hmm. it just kind of makes you revalue everything <laughs> no i think that's so good i think it's pouring into all the different aspects of your life right like it's not just in these um i guess intimate ways between you and your partner but it's melting everywhere and it's going to be a model to everyone in your family and even people listening might be like shoot like i'm experiencing that or i want that like to go about it and i'm sure it wasn't easy <laughs> no it wasn't easy it wasn't but there's a lot of resources out there for people who want to do it there's this thing that they, um, if anyone's curious it's called a 30-day experiment online mm -hmm. i think it's by annie grace if i'm correct um and so it's a challenge it's free like sign up you know see what happens and a lot of people are posting pictures like oh i lost 10 pounds and yeah that drink bloat I mean, <laughs> yeah, and they like um, their face cleared up, mm -hmm. and they're just like, I can sleep now, and I don't have anxiety. A lot of anxiety is created through through substance use, you know. I think for our community, in mm -hmm. in particular, it's very important to examine your relationship with alcohol because it can be hard to live in a society and try to maintain a positive identity. Mm -hmm. And so people tend to turn to substances, you know. I'm really excited for your group. I I have like already like so much hope for it and i'm so excited <laughs> thank you so the the way that started was um there is a there's a 
digital recovery program online called Hip Sobriety. Well, it changed to The Tempest. Mm -hmm. It used to be Hip Sobriety. And so they teach women or anybody to sober up through eight, an eight-week curriculum, starting with like a toolbox and nutrition and healthy eating, and they talk about trauma. And so they do weekly digital mm -hmm. calls and they wanted to bring it out in the communities as well. And Holly Whitaker is a person who manages that program. And she put it out there, you know, if anyone's interested in doing this, reach out to me. And I said, hey, here I am. I want to be your alley person. And so it's been four or five months in the making and it's been wonderful. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so we're about to wrap up, but I do want to ask you a question. How did you get the award like what do you what were you doing that you got this awesome award in the community that's what i asked myself when i when i first heard well you were obviously doing something yeah so i, I think part of it was the the sobriety group mm -hmm. you know the work that i'm doing there i'm volunteering for that and also at my work i the go-to person for consultations for LGBT, mm -hmm. just like self-appointed. I'm forever talking about LGBT <laughs> because people don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if I'm that girl, you know? <laughs> no, I think it's good that you're yeah. that girl. Yeah, and I'm like, hey, let's talk about that. Hey, mm -hmm. let's talk about a resource for that. Anything that I can do, I'm out there just pushing it because I don't have enough of that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm also for posting uh, positive and self-healing messages on, on my Instagram and videos and whatnot. So I think that's why I was nominated. That's but, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. People need that. People need you. Thank you. Um, so we're going to wrap up here. What's the best consejo that you've ever gotten? Or maybe multiple? I, there's been quite a couple, but um, in relation to coming out in families, my doctor, Dr. Lena, who is amazing, has been just God sent. I was talking to her about the situation with the podcast and my mom and how that brought a lot of sadness to me at the time. She pointed out that sadness was coming from, not from the situation in itself, but from the expectation that I had of my mom. Mm -hmm. And so I had read that before in a quote somewhere, but mm -hmm. relating it to my life in that way was super powerful because in realizing that, realized that I was doing the same thing to her that she's doing to me, mm. expecting change, right? I'm like, mom, I came out when I was like over 10 years ago. You're still, you're still not trying to see me, you know? Mm -hmm. That means I had hope for her to change. And, um, and she had hope for me to change that would be married with the guy, you know? And I don't want to do to her what she's doing to me. And we love each other and that's just, we don't need to do that. So now on um, the metaphor to that is that my mom is this rock. You know, she's a beautiful rock and you can't expect a rock to run mm. and it's just radical acceptance of the situation mom is my mom and that's who she is and she loves me and I love her yeah no I think that's amazing and that's um actually something I'm trying to live by too because I think as children we'll always be children right we have these expectations of our parents and sometimes they don't meet them and it's actually putting down those expectations and being like I accept you for where you are and who you are and maybe they will surprise us one day yeah. and that's beautiful and if they don't like there's that love and you know they're gonna love you you know you love them um so i think that's amazing i like that i like that consejo if people are interested in finding you connecting with you um asking you more questions find you inspiring and want to give you a shout out where can they do that uh, on instagram they can find me at lizzie lou mm -hmm. and that's l-e-z-z-i-e-l-u-e and if they want to send me an email, I'll be at mswgarfias at gmail.com. And so Garfias is my last name, G-A-R-F-I-A-S. 
Awesome. Yeah, well, we do welcome them to come yeah. over. <laughs> holla, guys. Holla. Um, so thank you so much again for coming. It's been truly an honor. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. Have a good one, guys.